First Peter, as we're launching into a new series today called Strangers, as we walk through First Peter verse by verse. So that's what we're starting today. Ten times in seven days. Ten. That's more than once per day. It's a number of times that the Greer family went back to our house while camping this past week. <laughs> ten times. And I wrote down some camping conclusions. Number one, do you know you can actually taste pollen? That pollen has a taste? Do you know that? Pollen has been brutal, hadn't it? Uh, secondly, if you're staying in a, in a camper at Chester Frost Park, never, I say never use the water in the camper. I forbade my girls from using the camper's water and that, that worked out really well. Let me just say that. Number three, I'm as terrible at disc golf as I am at golf. Atrocious. Number four, Connie's snow cone jingle can wake the dead. <laughs> Connie has a little red truck, or Connie's snow cone comes. You can hear the truck before you see the truck for this jingle and I mean people drop what they're doing and flock like a magnet to this little red truck to get a snow cone Randy on the other hand he doesn't have a jingle Randy doesn't need a jingle Randy as Connie comes through about two or three times a day Randy comes through maybe every other day or so and he sells firewood from the back of his pickup truck he doesn't need a jingle everybody's looking for Randy they all want firewood and lastly, one of the things I wrote down was nothing beats playing volleyball with Brady and bass fishing with Bell. Nothing at all. It was a great week. Uh, would we camp again? Probably. It probably won't become a lifestyle for us, I don't think. We felt kind of like fish out of water, I guess. And so when we come to 1 Peter, that's really Peter's message to the church. Hey, church, we are fish out of water. We are strangers in a very strange land. We are wanderers in this world. Uh, we are exiles on earth. We are aliens in America. We are passerbys on this planet. We are campers in this creation. We, we don't belong here as believers. This is not our home. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? And that's really the gist of 1 Peter. And Peter tells us how we're to live in light of the fact that we're strangers in a strange land. And it's all, it can all be summed up in this tiny little phrase in the first verse of 1 Peter 1, elect exiles of the dispersion. That, that really is the springboard from which the rest of 1 Peter flows. In fact, 1 Peter flows from the force of that tiny little phrase, elect exiles of the dispersion. Uh, Peter is saying, listen, this is the normal. I know the world is looking for the normal. What will the normal be after COVID-19? How will we live? Like, what will be the normal? Uh, what things will we not return back to? What things that we have done differently now, will stay the same. What will be the new normal? And here's what Peter is saying to the church, to believers. He's saying, hey church, the normal for believers has always been and will always be elect exiles of the dispersion. In other words, our normal condition, the normative for every church and every believer in every age is that we're strangers here. We don't belong here. We're to be in the world but not of it. 
And so what I want to do today is speak to you on the subject, Strangers in a Strange Land, from verses 4 through 9 in 1 Peter 1. Six verses. I want to read the text first, and then we'll unpack it together. So if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Absolutely, we rejoice. That, that in, in heaven our inheritance is being kept. I love that word, kept. And in that we do rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so faithful that Peter tells us just a few verses later that your word remains forever. That though the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word remains forever. It is imperishable. And we're so grateful that faith comes from hearing your word, the word of Christ. So today we pray very specifically that those who are being right now, those in the church, those who belong to you, who are being tested will understand that, that you have them in this, these varying trials to prove the genuineness of their faith. And we pray for those who do not, are not a part of this faith, that they will, today, Holy Spirit, you would draw them and you would convict them so they will enter into this faith. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Here's our takeaway. Faith in the unseen must be seen. Faith in the unseen must be seen. Peter says it like this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So faith in the unseen must be seen. So I, 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 want, I want to point out six visuals from these six verses that really help us, enable us, empower us, equip us to have our faith seen. Now, we don't want our faith seen to be showy. That's not what we want. We don't want the praise of men. We don't want the praise of people. But we do want to give a reason for the hope within us. Amen? We do want people to see that we have faith in the one who is unseen. And so how can we do that? Well, let me share these six visuals with you. And we're going to camp out here in verses 4 through 9. So here's the first visual. Today, behave as if the best is yet to come. Behave in that way. Now, as a believer, you should believe that the best is yet to come. That heaven is far better. That to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul says it's far better for him to be with the Lord. That heaven is in every, in any and every way is far better. 
So we may believe that, and we should believe that, because that's true. But the question is, do we behave as if the best is yet to come? Do we behave that way? Does our behavior match our belief? Does our behavior match what we say we believe? Are we behaving as those who believe that the best is yet to come? Are we behaving as, as those who believe the best has already come? The best has not already come for the church. The best is yet to come, church, for the church. And do we behave that way? Think of it like this. On social media, people just have a license to behave however they want to behave, right? I mean, it's terrifying how people behave on there. It's like social media is the share time on the last night of student camp when everybody has the opportunity to grab the mic and say something, but they probably shouldn't, right? Social media just gives everybody that platform to behave as if, as, however they want to behave. Well, as followers of Christ, we need to behave in such a way where we live out our lives and it screams that, hey, the best is yet to come. We're passing through this life. We're sojourners in this life. And here's how Peter paints this picture for us in verse 4, to an inheritance. That word inheritance is the same word used here in 1 Peter, is the same word used to describe the in, in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same word used to describe Israel's promised possession of the land. Israel's earthly inheritance, the promised land. That same word that we find here in the Greek is used to describe that. So what does that mean? The same word used to describe Israel's earthly inheritance is the same word used to describe the church's heavenly inheritance. Same word. But they're quite different, because look at how Peter describes this. And I know what you're thinking, man, I want to know what that inheritance is going to be. If you're a believer, if you're a part of the, of, of, of the church of Jesus Christ, meaning you've been saved by the blood of Jesus and you've entered into a relationship with God, let me tell you something, you're going to want to know what that inheritance is like. Tell me what it's like, right? Well, Peter, notice what he does. He doesn't tell us what it's like. He tells us what it's not like. And why does he do that? Because we have no context of what it's like. We can't even begin to think or imagine how awesome and wonderful heaven's going to be. We have nothing to compare it to on what it will be like. But we do have a better context of understanding what it will not be like. So that's how Peter approaches this. And notice what he says. This inheritance is imperishable. What does that word mean? That word means that it cannot, it will not perish. The idea is this is not corruptible. This inheritance is not destructible. This inheritance will not be brought to death. It will not be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. Now think about the inheritance that Israel had, this promised land. They received the promised land. The promised land came to them. But then because of Israel's sin, it was taken away. Well, your inheritance in Christ is never going to be taken away. You can't sin your way out of salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. You can't lose that. You're not going to lose this inheritance. It's kept in heaven for you. It's imperishable. It's not going to perish. It's not going to be destroyed. Secondly, Peter says, hey, th this is an undefiled inheritance, meaning it's not polluted, it's not corrupted, it's not stained. 
Everything on this earth is stained by sin. And the fall in Genesis 3 corrupted everything. And every earthly inheritance is corrupted and polluted and stained. So think about a place where there's no sin. Think about a place where there's no shame, no guilt, no abuse. Think about a place where every woman is lives without fear, every man is honorable, and every child is cherished. Think about a place like that. Think about a place with no jails, no police, uh, no need for security or locks or alarms, no theft, no sickness, no separation, completely and totally undefiled, unpolluted, unstained. Friday when I was writing this manuscript, Uh, Our alarm system here on campus was being tested, and it is L-O-U-D loud. It is loud. And it was just going off at various times, no no rhyme or reason for it. I mean, it just startled you. So Wiley brought me some earplugs, some little, you know, those little yellow foam earplugs, and I stuck them in my ear, and I wrote this manuscript with earplugs in my ears. Never done that before. That was quite a different experience, writing those with those in my ears. Well, listen, our inheritance, this is a place... Well, there's going to be no need for any of that. No need for alarms. No need for uh, earplugs. No no need for anything polluted, stained, corrupted, destructible, undefiled, imperishable. And I love this word, unfading. Unfading. It never loses its newness. Your one billionth day in heaven is going to be like your very first day in heaven. It's not going to lose any of its luster. It's not going to lose any of its magnificence. None of it. Unfading, totally unfading. Think about that. When we we think about our, our, our earthly tents that we live in, this body of flesh, the older I get, the more and more I believe that from dust we came and to dust we shall return. If you don't believe that, just get older and you will. Because the older I get, this body more and more makes the natural descent toward the dust of the earth. Thank you, gravity. It just happens. All right? It's fading away. This tent is fading away. But Paul says that this body, this perishable body, must put on the imperishable. That we're going to get a new body. And it's not going to fade, and it's not going to be defiled, and it's not going to perish. In fact, the same word used to describe our inheritance as indestructible and imperishable, rather, is the same word used to describe the Word of God. In verse 23 in this chapter, here's what Peter says. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is imperishable. It will never fade away. And so that same word used to describe the Word of God is the same word used to describe our inheritance, church. Man, we need to live today, behave as if the best is yet to come. Uh, Robert Stevenson wrote this little poem, and it really captures the essence of this. The, The poem is when the stars are gone. He says, the stars shine over the mountains, the stars shine over the sea. The stars look up to the mighty God, the stars look down on me. The stars shall last for a million years, a million years in a day. But God and I will live in love when the stars have passed away. Unfading, undefiled, imperishable. 
Maybe you feel like today God's forgotten about you. Maybe you feel like that. But I want you to know and understand that in Christ, this inheritance is being kept for you. Kept for you. Secured in the most secure place it could ever be secure. In a place where nothing unclean or impure will ever enter it. In a place that no one enters it. No one that lies, no one that practices abomination. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean will ever enter this place. See, in Luke 15, there's three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, uh, prodigal son. And each one of those features home. The lost sheep is brought home. The lost coin is found at home. The prodigal son, he comes home. Home, home, home. Believer, we have a home. It's in heaven. It's not here. So what do we do meanwhile? We keep our feet planted on the word, our hand to the plow, and our eyes fixed on eternity. One said it this way, uh, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. Know today that if your story is embedded in the redemptive story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then nothing can stop you from you marching into paradise. Nothing. Nothing today. Live, behave as if the best is yet to come. Number two, second, today, steward your suffering well. Be a good steward of your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Be a good steward of your suffering. We all know that what is good for us may not be good to us, and what is good to us may not be good for us. Let me give you an example. I heard this described the other day. We can try to make things sound healthy, like like this, for example. I read this advertisement, this ad the other day. Fresh poultry cuts smothered with golden wheat powder and boiled in a tasty olive juice. That sounds fairly healthy, doesn't it? You know what that is? Fried chicken. (laughs) Just a healthy attempt to describe fried chicken. It's good for us, but really not, or good to us, but really not good for us. Well, here's what Peter says about Meanwhile, what do we do? We know we have this inheritance that's being kept for us, but we're still here. So, so what are we doing? What are we doing, Lord? Well, here's what, here's what Peter says. In this you rejoice, in the fact that heaven is being kept for us, we rejoice. But look at this, verse number 6. Though now for a little while, you, you, you will be grieved with various trials. So there's some thoughts here on on these trials we need to think of. First of all, we need to know they're brief. Amen? (laughs) They don't last. Praise God. (laughs) Our trials don't last. They're brief. They don't last forever. The various trials means all sorts of different trials that, that... that your, that your mind is re- emotional, physical, relational, financial, what, what, whatever those spiritual, whatever those might be. He says various trials. And what's the difference between temptation and trial? A lot of times the difference between a temptation and a trial is simply your response to it. Um, think, think about it. Well, hold that thought. I, I want to get back to that. Not only are we told, hey, we suffer for a little while. Look what he says, if necessary, verse 6. Meaning, trials are necessary. No believer is exempt from suffering. You're not exempt from it. You will suffer. 
Martin Luther said it like this. Martin Luther called adversity the very best book in his library. Very best one. Uh, Duncan, John Duncan said, if we have not a cross, alas, we may conclude that we have not Christ. For a cross is the first of Christ's gifts. So yes, it's necessary. Also, Peter says these trials are, uh, they have a purpose. They're, They're testing the genuineness of our faith. They're proving that our faith is genuine. Let me try to give you an example of this. Take Chevrolet or Ford or whatever automaker you want to think of. And let's say Chevrolet, for example, just to be simple and use Chevy and Ford. Chevy uh, test Ford trucks. When they do that, when they test Ford trucks, they testing Ford trucks to prove that Ford trucks won't pass the test. But when Chevy tests Chevy trucks, they, they're testing Chevy trucks to prove they will pass the test. You see the difference in that? The perspective of that? When you face fiery trials... God is testing you, not because he's mad at you. He's testing you to prove the genuineness of your faith, to prove that your faith is genuine in him, not to prove you're, you're not genuine. So, so think about it like this. Let's say you, you, you lose your job. What, is, what kind of faith can you have when you go through trials like losing a job? You lose your job, but then you gain resilient faith through that experience. Uh, you lose a loved one, but you gain grieving faith through that experience. Uh, you, you lose your, your friends, but you gain courageous faith through that experience. Uh, you lose money, but you gain devoted faith in that experience because you can't be devoted both to God and money. So your faith is being shaped. It's being formed. It's being tested. It's being proved. When all these trials hit, God isn't wasting them. He's not wasting any suffering. He never wastes suffering. And they result in, look at this, in verse number 7, they result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer said it like this. The reason we study theology, why do we study theology? Why do we want to be sound doctrinally? Why? Why? What is the purpose of that? Here's what J.I. Packer said. The purpose of theology is doxology. What does that mean? Here's what that means. The reason we study theology, the study of God, is so that we will worship God. For you to understand that God is sovereign over your suffering will enable you and empower you to worship Him in the midst of that suffering. It'll give you that ability. If you have a firm foundation and understanding that God is sovereign, even over your suffering, you'll still be able to worship him in the midst of that suffering. So that's what we know here. What what do we know? We know that we are to steward our suffering well. Number three, today, love the Lord. If if our faith is going to be seen, we have to love the Lord. We have to prefer the Lord. We have to worship the Lord. We have to love God the Lord. And I love how Peter explains this to us in verse 8. He says it like this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Wow. Now Peter had seen the Lord. Peter had seen the Lord when he was uh, walking with him for three years. When the Lord was pouring into him, discipling him. Peter saw the Lord in his resurrected state. Peter spent time with the Lord. He was in his, his discipleship group. He spent time with him. He saw him. But Peter understands that, church, 
I've not seen Jesus physically. I've not seen him. You have not seen him. We have not seen him. And Peter understands that. And the Holy Spirit is encouraging us here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him. So I ask you this question this week. And by the way, thank you for your response. Your responses were amazing. Here was the question. If you could be transported back in time to view any one part of Jesus' life, which part would you choose? Man, your answers were fantastic. There were multiple responses uh, at the transfiguration. Wanted to see if you could go back. You'd want to see Jesus up there at the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. And then God spoke and they disappear and Jesus is there alone Uh, Several people said his teachings, whether it be the Sermon on the Mount or his various teachings. You'd love to hear him teach and preach. One of my favorites was on the road to Emmaus. Man, wouldn't that that be awesome to hear Jesus go from Genesis to Malachi, preaching every scripture that pertains specifically to him? Wow. And some of you said, man, I'd love to see how he interacted with children. Man, what a blessing that would be. Many of you said, man, I I just want to hear his voice whether at the Lord's Supper table or when he was praying or how he prayed with his father or, or to his father. Man, I just love to see how he interacted with people, his, his siblings. A lot of people sent in a, a lot of uh, different answers about his growing up years, how he, how he interacted with his family and uh, how in the world in the teenage years could he be 100% man and 100% God. <laughs> How's it even possible, right, in the teenage years? And, and just other examples of that, like uh, how, how, did he, how did he and, his, and Joseph work together and make, and, and just to see, the, see their work and how it was just, had to be just perfect, and, and just to see that, how they interacted with each other. And so there were many about him walking on water, the, the wedding at Cana, the last three years of his life, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, all these different things, all these different Hearing him, seeing him, walking with him. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? But the reality is, we haven't. And we're not going to see him in this life as it is now, unless he returns while we're still here. One day we'll see him face to face. But we won't see him do all those things. We were not there. We have not seen him physically. However, though we've not seen him, we love him. So let me ask you a question. Is seeing believing? The world tells you seeing is believing. That's what the world says. They say seeing is believing. But let me remind you that the overwhelming majority of people who saw Jesus of Nazareth, the overwhelming majority of people who saw him do all those things and so much more, the overwhelming majority of people, they did not believe in him. They saw him do all those things, and they didn't believe in him. Seeing is not believing. That's why Jesus has said to Doubt and Thomas, hey, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Hey, amen, that's me. That's you. We've not seen him yet, we believe. So live your life today. Love the Lord. N- number four. Here's the fourth visual that will help our faith be seen. Number four, today, live like Jesus is alive. We need to live like Jesus is alive. Hello, church? Easter Sunday, the the, the tomb is empty, and then for so many churches the next Sunday, the pews are empty. Why is that? 
Jesus didn't go back into the tomb after Easter Sunday. He's alive. He's still alive. Amen. And he lives in us. It's not like he does, it's not like he's alive somewhere and we don't have any connection to it. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer, and Jesus lives in us. And so here's how Peter says it in verse 8. That though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You trust the truth. You live every day like Jesus is alive. Live today like he is alive. One, one writer said it like this, and, and he said, no apostle, and, and, he, and he's referring to the 12 apostles, uh, counting Paul, minus Judas, but add Paul, the 12 apostles. And here's what he said, no apostle ever remembered Jesus. Well, that sounds kind of strange. What does that mean? This, this was the writer's point that, that, that he was making. These apostles lived, they saw Jesus. They, they knew him. They had a relationship with him. They knew him. See, we, we know the people who are alive. We remember people that are dead, right? We remember them. Uh, for example, do this in remembrance of me. We, we partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of the death of Jesus. Jesus died. Understand, he did die, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. So if you know him now as a follower of Christ, you don't just simply remember him. You know him. He's living in you. So you know him. So we need to live as if Jesus is alive and not just live as like it's somebody we remember in the past that did something very kind for us. No, he is our power today. He is our living, he is living within us today, right now. We need to live that way. Why are we not living that way? That Jesus is alive. Number five, today be glad in it. Be glad in it. This, uh, this idea here in verse eight, this inexpressible joy, the word inexpressible uh, means just uh, Un, un, unspeakable, unable to, to, to express. Just the joy is so, the width and depth of the joy is, is such that it's very difficult to explain it. Like the peace that surpasses all understanding. This inexpressible joy that we have. In, remember, the context of this is fiery trials. So in these various trials, we have this inexpressible joy. In these very difficult times, we have a joy that's inexpressible. We have a joy that is unspeakable. We have a joy that's very difficult to, to explain. I wish, I mean, we, we really can't do this, but I wish that we could tweet or post smells. Like, I wish we could tweet the, the smell of grilled onions. I love grilled onions. I like the way that smells, or fresh cut grass, but we can't, we can't tweet those things. We can't, it's hard with words to describe those. You have to experience that, right? And this joy is something you have to experience. And, and once you do, it's very difficult to explain it. And in the midst of this, it seems like the world is falling apart. In reality, it's falling into place, and, and all these trials are happening, but yet you're filled with this joy. How is that even possible? Because today, we need to be glad in One pastor said, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, and I just, I, I, I put my little personality into it, but he said something like this, and I, I just took it and ran with it with my own 
twist on it. He said, today is not a day that the latest fashion is made, so don't be plaid in it. Today is not a day that Apple has made, so don't be iPad in it. Today is not a day that social media has made, so don't be had in it. Today is not a day that the devil has made, so don't be mad in it. Today is not a day that the world has made, so don't be uh, sad in it. Today is not a day that the flesh has made, so don't be bad in it. Today is a day that the Lord has made, so be glad in it. Rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. This is how we make our faith seen. And the last one, last part of verse number nine here, or really verse number nine. One day our faith will become sight. Isn't that good news, church? One day our faith will become sight. Think about that. Wow. Paul says it like, or Peter says it like this. Obtaining, look at verse 9, that word obtaining, also can mean receiving, obtaining, receiving, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now that term there, receiving and obtaining, that's an athletic term. So think of it from a, from a perspective of athletics. Listen, in Christ, we've already won, right? <laughs> we've already won. We've won the battle. We've won the game. We have the victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God for the victory we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've already won. But what we don't know is where are we in the game? Like we don't know. Like take... Just for an example, just football. Are we in the first quarter and we have three more quarters to go? Are we in the second quarter or the third quarter? Is, is there less than a minute left in the game? We don't know. So for a little while, we'll face fiery trials knowing our hope is living. Our hope is future. Our hope is now. We have one in Christ. And one day this faith will become sight. And we'll see him face to face. We'll see him face to face. So I want to encourage every believer today in this way. Whatever trial you're going through right now, whatever you're facing, listen, God's not wasting that. He is testing the genuineness of your faith to prove it genuine. So, so be, be encouraged in that today. Secondly, for any unbeliever, it's very clear here. You can see the personal pronoun in verse number 9. The personal pronoun is your faith. Your faith. Not your mother's faith. Not your father's faith. Not your spouse's faith. Not your children's faith. Not your friend's faith. Not your grandparents' faith or your grandchildren's faith. Your faith. It, you have to own it. You, you've got to own it. It has to be yours. And you can own it. That's the good news. You can. But, but you have to come to that place. 21 years of age. In my aunt's living room. The Holy Spirit would not let go of me. And I repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus. And it changed my life. And I praise God for that. In just a moment, you're going to hear from a family, uh, the Wiltshire family, via video. You're going to hear a testimony.
about a time when Jude Wiltshire trusted Christ. You're going to hear their story. And, and now he can say, this is, this is my faith. Can you say that? Whether you're in person or worshiping online, can you say that? We want you to be able to say that. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with us. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I pray that every person in this place and worshiping from home, that if they would say, you know what, I can't say that that is my faith. I can't say I'm in a relationship with God. I can't say that I've come to faith in Jesus. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you continue to draw them and convict them. And if they're at a place where they're ready to enter into a relationship with you, I I just ask you, wherever you are, in person or at home, to pray something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm far from you, but you've drawn me to you. And I believe, I believe that Jesus died in my place. I believe that he was raised from the dead. And today I confess that he is Lord. And I invite Jesus into my life. Save me today. Oh, listen, dear friend, if you prayed anything like that, believing it in your heart, then we want to have a conversation with you about that. We want you to text the name Jesus to 79969. If you're in this place in person, you need to come to uh, one of our pastors down front in a moment. You need to come and make your decision public. Church, for those in the faith, let me challenge you with this question, with this thought. As you consider your faith being tested through all these trials, let me, let me challenge you with this. Why does fear get our attention more than hope? Why does fear take up so much of our time more than does hope? Why does fear sell better than hope? We have a living hope, a future hope, a now hope. Don't sell out to fear. Stand firm in the faith and give a reason for the hope that is within you. Father, would you help us be a people that believe and have faith that the unawakened can be awakened? God, would you help us be a people that have faith and believe that that an unbeliever can become a believer? That must be believed by believers. We must believe it. Oh God, give us a faith and a belief that the uncaught can be caught by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the unchurched can be churched. That the undisciple can become disciplers who make disciples. Let us believe and have faith that the unevangelized can become evangelized. Let us believe and have faith that the unfound can be found. That those that are lost can be born again. That belief needs to be found again in the heart of every believer. Let us know and believe that the unheard can hear, and that message must be heard. Lord, let us believe and have faith that the unjust can be just, that the unjoyful can be filled with joy, that the unknowing can know, that the unlovable are loved, that the unsaved can be saved. That needs to be salvaged by the saved. Help us, Lord. How we believe, but help our unbelief. Let us be a people where our faith is seen. Faith in you and the unseen is seen. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said.
Amen. Here's what I want you to do. If you're in person, I want you to come to these steps, line up here, and just call out to God to help you with your unbelief. Maybe you have a decision you've made to join the church, be baptized. You're about to see a baptism here in a minute. Maybe that's a decision you need to make. We'd love for you to come in person and let our one of our, I know Josh will be down front here to receive you, so you come. Any decision you need to make for, for, for the Lord Jesus, you come.